kindergarten for, through third grade are dismissed for junior church. If you would take your Bible or your device and turn to Exodus chapter 33, we will go into actual uh, verse 30, I mean chapter 34 at the end. As you can see, as you can see behind me, uh, the title of the sermon this morning is With Your Presence. I found out, kind of, kind of pulled me up short. October 3rd, Mark Brussel is going to preach for the third time, and he's going to be continuing from there out. And I just realized that I have three sermons left. That's way more than three weeks. But uh, Pastor Peter was filling in for me a week or so, um, and uh, he asked for a, another week in between because he wants to do a series so I have three sermons left, and I had been thinking about for quite a while, is there something I want to do at the end of my normal preaching? And uh, God answered. The first one is today, because we're going to talk about God's presence. The next one, which will not be next week, but it'll be, I don't know, whenever it is, uh, we're going to continue on. Uh, looking at, does God use people to speak to us? I'm going to call it this little light of mine because you know the story. When Moses went into the presence of God, he came out and his face shone and then he would cover it so nobody would see it fading away. But he was God's spokesman, God's mouthpiece for the people. The name is not important. I am not Moses and neither is Mark, by the way. Uh, but... God does use people to speak to his people. And so I'm going to emphasize that. And we're going to look at 2 Corinthians where the illusion and going back to Moses and his face shining is very clearly used and says the veil is totally gone. We should be able to, uh, people should be able to see God in our lives. And then the last one. I literally preached this sermon probably 26 years ago. I know what was happening. We were going to make a big decision about building a building. You're sitting in it. Scared me to death. We never had a mortgage before that, and we knew the mortgage would be $4,000 a month. Scared the living daylights out of me. I would literally wake up in the middle of the night with my heart pounding and sweating bullets. I'm not exaggerating. I dealt with that one, and maybe I'll use that as an illustration in that sermon. But the point is, I preached a sermon that said, Moses said, we're going to build the tabernacle and everything that goes with it. Make your contribution. And all of you that have skills, use your skills. And then Moses turned around and something most pastors never get to do, say, stop giving. <laughs> we have enough. And I'm going to encourage you that doesn't matter if I'm here or not. That's our attitude. That we need to see that God uses people to instruct us and lead us forward. And that we have a contribution to make. And I'm going to challenge everybody, whether you're already working or you're not working, that you need to be a part of that. But today we're going to look at God's presence. I often say for the 
Israelite people, that the thing that set them apart from the rest of the nations was they kept the Sabbath day. And that's true on the outside. But there's an overall principle that God makes very clear in this passage that sets us apart from the world. And that is, wherever we go, people can see the presence of the Lord in our lives. That's your life, that's your testimony, that's your credibility, that's, that's your ministry, that's everything. That's what we're going to look at this morning. So no matter who it is, and that's going to be you, ultimately me and you. I'll start with an illustration. Boys can uh, do some pretty dumb things. The fact is, my wife still thinks I have a death wish. She says, you do things, I think you're trying to kill yourself. Now, I had, I'm not suicidal at all, but she thinks I do things that are really dumb and that I'm trying to kill myself. And I could give you illustrations, and um, she would stand up and you a bunch of them too. I don't do things that I'm not comfortable with, but I will do stuff that I don't expect other people to do. If you ever watch me mow the grass down here, you'll know what I'm talking about. I would never encourage anybody else to do what I do, but I do it about every other week, and I go right down over the culvert, and I don't expect anybody to do that. Is it dangerous? Probably, but I've done it dozens and dozens of times, and I'm still very cautious. But when I was a boy, and I had two brothers, we would do things when we were together that we would never, ever do on our own. In fact is, if our cousins were there, that upped the ante. And if the neighbor kids were there, that upped the ante. I don't know what it was. Uh, if it was something outside, we'd go to a ballpark and play softball. But if, the, if it was not available, we would come to our barn and we would play in the barn. Two main things, hide and seek and tag. We literally played tag where you were not allowed to touch the floor of the barn, which means you had to crawl across the logs and the hay bales, and you were not allowed to touch the floor to tag the other guy. You ask me if that's dumb, I'll tell you that. But hide-and-seek took the, the, the cake in this case. We would literally, to get back to base, don't ask me why I have knees that still work, but we would jump off the top of the granary, which was higher than I could reach, so it was about nine feet. We would jump off of there, down to the hard floor, and head for base. Sting the living daylights out of your feet. But we would do that thing, and we would dare each other. We'd actually have dare contests to, to dare somebody to do something. I did some pretty dumb things. I almost got stuck up in the logs one time. But the one that I remember, and I was not the oldest. My cousin, in this case it was my cousin. He's now dead, but he's six months older than I. He was a little more skitzy than me. And we were daring each other to crawl up the ladder to the hay, hayloft and then to the peak because it was full of uh, bales the whole way to the peak. And they were stacked about like this. My dad had them stacked. So you crawl up the ladder, no problem. And then you crawled the last 10, 12 feet on top of the bales. You fall, you're, you're going to hurt badly. He got halfway up the bales and froze. And I'm thinking, because my dad, Paul, you're the oldest and you know better and you're responsible. Uh, I hated it back then, but now I realize it wasn't a bad thing because I think it made me a responsible person. 
because I was always responsible. But my cousin is halfway up there, and he froze, and he couldn't move. He wouldn't move. And I'm going, if I have to go get my dad to get him down here, I'm in big trouble. And so I had my negotiation skills honed that day. I remember this like yesterday. I kept telling them, here, do this and do this. And finally, I talked them down. You know what? My cousin would have never done that if we wouldn't have been there. I there are a lot of things I wouldn't have done if they weren't there. You see, when we're in the presence of someone else, we may do things that we wouldn't ordinarily do. That's going to be the main point of the sermon this morning. If God isn't with us, I'm not going to tell you you can't do a lot of things. And you might even do a lot of good things. The fact is the world has totally atheistic, secular people that do some pretty spectacular things. But you cannot glorify the Lord without His presence. And His presence is what, he says here, will separate the Israelites from the rest of the nations. And I propose to you, that is exactly our situation as Christians. It's not how you dress or how you look or you don't use curse words that other people use or, uh, you know, you go to church Sunday morning. Uh, I, I would agree with all those things. But it's God's presence in your life that makes the difference of why people will say, that person's different. And that is the truth. My tractor pull buddies know I'm different than they are. And they'll even say it every now and then. Something will happen to go, by the way, I do not believe this. I don't even know what it means. They'll say, well, you're a man of the cloth. You shouldn't do that. <laughs> I don't even know what the man of the cloth thing is. I never looked it up. I should probably do that before I retire. But you know what? They expect that because I've given a testimony and they know I'm a Christian and they know I will disqualify myself when nobody else ever does that, uh, that I'm different than they are. But they should see God's presence in my life. That's the challenge this morning. So if you don't listen, no, I want you to listen to the rest of the sermon. But if you don't listen to the rest of it, that's it right there. That's, that's the crux of the sermon. So, with his presence, let's look at what it says. And I'm going to do this quickly because we're going to do a chapter plus a few verses. And the Lord said to Moses, depart from here. Um, go and depart from here, you and the people who you brought out of Egypt. To the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your descendants, I will give it. This is the promised land, and God says, I promised it. I don't go back on my promises. I'm not real happy with you guys right now because you have been doing all these things, like a idol, a golden calf, and all those things. But he says, go up. I promised it to you. You're going to get it. He said, I'll send an angel before you. I'll drive out the, the enemies. And he says, go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not, notice this, not go in your midst because you're an obstinate people and I will destroy, and I might destroy you on the way. God says, I won't go back on my promise. I still want you to go, but I'm not going to go with you because you know what? I may get to the point where I say, I've had it with you and Zap, you're done. He already told Moses that, remember? He said, Moses, stand back, let me wipe them out, and I'll make you a new nation, another nation. 
That's what he had said. And he said, if I go up with you, the way you guys are acting, the way you guys operate, uh, I, I'm liable to wipe you out. So it's best for me to stay away. That's what he just said, right? That's what it says. And he said, it's a great land, just flowing with milk and honey. Uh, the best way to describe that is everything that's needed to produce honey and produce milk is there. Pasture land, flowering trees and grape vines and all those things that bees use to make honey, all the pasture and the grain that cows and the water that's need to make milk or sheep, whatever, uh, it's all there. And when the people heard this sad word, that's what it says there, they went into mourning and none of them put on their arm. Uh, ornaments. They took off all their jewelry. Same kind of thing that's talking about here where it's a sign of mourning. Ashes and sackcloth. I'm not going to be trying to dress myself up at all. It's, they did that for about 40 years because they realized that um, they had displeased God and God was not happy with them. And they heard it and they took it off and then the Lord said to Moses, say to the sons of Israel, you're an obstinate people. And the word obstinate means stubborn, stubborn, stubborn. I don't know a thing about stubborn. My family doesn't know a thing about stubborn. Why are you laughing, Amy? <laughs> and Brad's going, yeah, I've been around these people. Okay, but anyway, it means, I'll tell you, I'll tell you how I know I'm right. Stephen, in the book of Acts, says this, You men are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears and are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You are doing just like your fathers did. Yeah. So uh, we, we catch it, and Stephen knew exactly what was going on, and he, he references it. He said, Should I go up in your midst for one moment? I would destroy you. He said, I'd pull the plug on you. Therefore, put off your ornaments from you, uh, that, you may, uh, that I may know what I shall do with you. I've done that a few times with my own kids, and I've done that uh, as a pastor. It's like, something happened. Man, give me a few minutes. Step back, because I, I have to think this one through. And I, I don't know that God has to do that, but... He is making it clear, you know, do this, show your mourning, show your sadness, um, and I need to figure out what I'm going to do with you. Now, I know God is all-knowing and all that, but uh, he's just saying, you know what, I need to think this through. And the sons of Israel stripped off their ornaments at Mount Horeb, which is uh, Mount Sinai, and onward. So the rest of the time, for 40 years, uh, they didn't wear any jewelry going around in the wilderness. Now, we get to the next part. Because he has just told them, I will not be with you. I'll wipe out your enemies, but I'm not going with you. I'm telling you, if I was Moses, I'd be shaking to my sandals. If I was the people, I'd be going, what? What are we going to do? Well, it tells us that in verse 7, Moses had a tent that he pitched outside the camp. Um, and uh, he called it the tent of meeting. I want you to get this. This is not, is not the tabernacle. The tabernacle has not even been built yet. 
Uh, that'll be my second sermon after this of where they're even taking up the contributions and the workmen to, to get it built. That hasn't happened yet. He's given them some things. I skipped over that. But uh, given them some instruction. But it hasn't happened yet. And so Moses goes out there. And uh, anyone who wanted to find out what the Lord had to say about something, remember, they didn't have the Bible, uh, they would go out there uh, outside the camp, and um, Moses would be there, and uh, he would uh, tell them what they needed to know. And when Moses went out there, the people would stand in respect for the person that he was. Who was he? He was God's spokesman. He was not God. He's God's spokesman. He was the one that spoke on God's behalf to the people. And the people respected that. And I'm just going to tell you, this is why I believe God orchestrated these sermons. I didn't try it. Is, you know what? People say to me, you know, it's going to be different when you're not the pastor. Totally agree. Totally agree. Doctrine doesn't change. Ministry doesn't change. Personalities do. You see... Different is only different. It's not right or wrong. Hopefully, I'm someone, I, I hope so, is that speaks on behalf of God, not because I'm meeting in a tent or pillar of fire comes down or a pillar of cloud comes down, but because I take the word of God and say, hey, here's what God says and here's how it applies to our lives. And you respect that. I hope you do. And I'm just challenging you. That's Mark too. Because he's going to be the one that you have agreed that you want him to be God's spokesman to this congregation and uh, show that same kind of respect. Like I said, I'm not Moses and neither is he. Moses is a unique character. We saw that in the last uh, sermon or two. He's totally unique. But Moses would go into the tent and the pillar of cloud would come down and descend on it and the Lord would speak with Moses, and then, of course, the people would come to Moses, and Moses would speak to the people. And all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, and all the people would arise and worship at the entrance of the tent. I don't know if you've thought about this, but it really got me thinking when I was studying this, is there are a lot of reasons why we worship. But this one, I believe, kind of tops them all. And I don't know if I've ever really thought about this uh, in this way before. But it is the presence of God that initiates the worship. I hope when we come here and we gather together, we know the presence of God. Now, you can do this anywhere. Don't get me wrong. But God has chosen that people, his people get together. Uh, and they do. But it's the presence of God that should inspire worship. I don't know about you, but when, when the praise team is up here leading singing and stuff, there is something that happens that's above and beyond what I do on my own. I, I hope, and I think I do this when somebody else is preaching or teaching, is when somebody else is you know, showing God's presence and speaking on God's behalf, something happens that brings about that I want to exalt the name of Christ and, and follow the Lord and, and be obedient, and it just inspires me in that direction. And here, it's the presence of God, and 
when they see that pillar of cloud, which God is dwelling in and speaking to Moses through, the people worship. I hope that it's not personality that has anything to do with this. I pray that it's because of God's presence, above and beyond whoever it is. And yeah, Mark will definitely be different than me. Man, he's too nice. I mean, I'm not that nice. You know, I, I believe, and I've, I've, people have said, I've said, you know what? I believe I've done what God wanted me to do. And you put up with me for, by the time I finally retire, 35 years. Uh, but you know what? I believe Mark's going to do above and beyond anything I could have ever done. Is he better or worse? No, he's different. But I believe God's going to use him. Just like he used Moses, and you can go right down through the Bible, and I always, in my head, go, I can use the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. Moses in the Old Testament, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. You know, use them greatly. Were they somebody that didn't have flesh and bones and problems like we do? The answer is no, they all had them. Just read the Bible, you'll find out. But God used them as his messenger, his mouthpiece, his spokesman. And so um, I just want to challenge you in that direction. And it says there that the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face just as a man speaks to his friend. Notice the whole concept here is not sight. It's not sight. It's not eyeballs. It is the ear and the mouth. God is speaking and Moses is listening. That's the whole idea of face-to-face. -face. Speak face-to-face, -face, not see face-to-face. -face. It's personal. It's clear. It's open. And then Moses would come back to the camp. Uh, he, I, I don't know how long he was there. And it says Joshua stayed there. We don't know why. It doesn't tell us. But either he maintained the tent or he guarded the tent. I don't know what it was. But he stayed there. And then uh, Moses said to the Lord, and now we're in verse 12. And this is the essence of where I want to go this morning. It says, Moses said to the Lord, see, you say to me, bring up this people, but you yourself have not let me know whom you will send with me. Lord, you're sending me, but I can't do it alone. You need to send someone with me. Who is it? No pastor, no Moses, no one can ever do it alone. It's not even possible. But remember, God said, I won't go with you. That's the real crux. And so, moreover, and Moses is still speaking, you said, I have known you by name, and you have found favor in my sight. This word favor is going to be used at least five or six more times here. It's the same exact word where it says Moses, uh, Moses, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Same exact one. So there's Noah in a very bad situation, and here's Moses in a very bad situation because God just said, I'm not going with you. But I, you, you said to me, Lord, I found favor in your sight. Verse 13, now therefore I pray you, if I have found favor in your sight, let me know your ways and 
that I may know you so that I might find favor in your sight. Now, God already said he had favor, but he's going, I need that continuously. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. God, I'm reminding you, these are your people. Yeah, I've been your spokesman. I've been your leader. I brought them out. I've done what you've asked me to do, but they're still your people. That's the key thing. That's above and beyond church. That's above and beyond pastor, leaders. It's above and beyond. If you're God's people, that's way bigger than any organization or any person or persons. Verse 14, and he said, my presence shall go with you and I will give you rest. See, Moses came back and said, God, you've said I have favor I want to know that favor. Prayer is, in essence, talking to God and saying, God, this is what you've said. You said you're going to take us into the promised land. You said I found favor. And, Lord, I'm asking, somebody needs to go with me. An individual, uh, he had Joshua to go with him, but that didn't count. And there were others uh, that, that were there that were spiritual leaders. Um, but he said, consider God, this nation is your people. God is, Moses is simply saying to God, God, this is what you said. And if I found favor and these are your people, I need, we need your presence. Folks, that's what we need, the presence of God. All of us need that. It's above and beyond the normal things that we do on the outside. The presence of God is something that is overwhelming through, in, around all of us. It is what makes us a unique people. It's the presence of God. And so God doesn't change his mind in the normal sense. But I will tell you, God does react with the circumstances and situations. Think about it this way. It's not here. But... Uh, if you sin, God says, I need to judge that. But if you confess it, repent, get it taken care of, you're back in fellowship. And God is working again. Did God change his mind? The answer is no. But he absolutely responds to our actions and our attitudes and our motives and all of those things. And he absolutely does. And he says, okay, Moses, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Wow. You haven't seen rest so far in this, this story. You haven't seen that. But he says, I will give you rest. And then, and then Moses said to, to God, if your presence doesn't go with us, do not lead us up from here. God, you said your promise is going with. If you're not going to, Pull the plug right now. Stop right now because um, I, I don't want to go there. For how then can it be known that I have found favor in your sight and your people? Is it not your going with us so that we, I and your people, may be distinguished from all the other people who are upon the face of the earth? That's the Israelites under the law, and that's the church today. The thing that should make you different than everyone around you is that God's presence is in you, before you, behind you, around you, and people should see that you are different. 
because God's presence is there. That's what we should do. That's above and beyond any ministry you have or any work that you do or giving that you, you, you participate in. It's way above that. It's God's presence. We practice his presence. We live it now. God said, my presence will go with you, and I'll give you rest. That's what he wants for us. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. Past year and a half, been the most miserable time to be a pastor that I've ever had. I've been here 34 years. The last year and a half is miserable. <laughs> I, 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 the, the disagreement, and, uh, and I'm not talking about any individual person or any individual viewpoint. That's not my point. My point is, it's been a mess. I'm ready for rest. And the only reason we get rest, the only way we get rest, and I'm not even talking about Garden Chapel, I'm talking about the world as a whole, churches as a whole, and Garden Chapel fits all that, is we need to practice the presence of God. No matter who's the pastor, no matter where you are, whether you're in church Sunday morning or you're working tomorrow morning, it doesn't matter. Practicing the presence of God. When God goes with us, there's rest at the end. Otherwise, it's turmoil. I've had all the turmoil I need. <laughs> Let's face it. Uh, I, I, I appreciate Moses, and now I need to kick it in high gear. Verse 18, Moses goes, I need you to confirm this to me. <laughs> Is Moses any different than you? You know God wants you to do something, and then you go, okay, God, you told me what to do, and you said what you're going to do, but uh, I want you to, to back that up. <laughs> you don't believe God? Well, I'll tell you what. God doesn't get mad at him. Ha! Huh. So, praise the Lord, God doesn't get mad at Moses here. He says, okay, here's what I want you to do. He said, well, Moses said, show me your glory, confirm it to me. Verse 19, he said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. He said, I'm going to show you my goodness and I'm going to tell you who I am. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face for no man can see my face and live. Then the Lord said, behold, there is a place beside me and you shall stand on the rock. Now, I don't know how this all works, but he said, I'm going to pass my glory by you, and there's going to be a big old crack, a big old crevice in the rock, and I'm going to put you in there, and I'm going to put my hand over that. I'm going to pass by. All my goodness is going to pass by. You won't see my face. He's going to see something. We discussed this the other Sunday night after my sermon, and um, I came a little better, but I'm still not 100% sure in this. But the point is, he said, my glory is going to go by. I'm going to put my hand over, and when I take my hand away, you'll see my back, but my face shall not be seen. My practical, not all that sophisticated view here is this. We see the afterglow. You don't see the explosion, but you see the, the flames and the smoke and everything else that goes with it. 
I don't know how else to explain it, folks. I really don't. But it absolutely confirmed to Moses, God means what he says. He confirmed it. And it's not a direct seeing God because no man can see God and live. Uh, you can't see his face. You're not going to live. But you can see the result, the afterglow, the aftershock of the whole thing. That's as best as I can do. Somebody's better at that than me, feel free. But uh, that's as far as I can go. And then the Lord said to Moses, cut for yourself two tablets like the former ones. And uh, every time we do something, it has consequences. When you do something right and godly and in obedience to the Lord, there are good consequences that come with it. You sin, there are consequences that go with it. Moses didn't have the right to take the tablets and throw them down and bust them up. And God says, okay, you know what? You've done that, and as a result, the consequence is that it's going to involve additional work and something hard that comes out of it. Well, guess what, Moses? You've now become a stone cutter. You need to now chisel out the tablets. But here's what I really like. And God said, I will write on the tablets the words that were on the former tablets, which you shattered. God does not leave his word up to the thoughts, intentions, and devices of man. God says, no, I'm putting this in stone. I'm going to repeat, just in case you weren't here last week, is that uh, there are people that say, well, the Bible was just a bunch of holy men, righteous men, godly men who wrote down their thoughts. Well, guess what? One of the kingpins of the whole Old Testament and referred by, to by the New Testament is the Ten Commandments, and they were definitely not written by a man. God himself wrote it in stone. We say that. Is that in stone? You know, is that your opinion or is that in stone? Or is that what you're hoping or is that in stone? In this case, it's in stone. God did not leave it up to Moses. Moses knew what the words would be. He had already told them to the people before. He had already seen them on the tablets before he smashed them. But God doesn't leave it up to Moses' memory or Moses' devices or his workmanship. God says, yep, you got something you got to do, but I'm going to be the one that puts it in the stone. How God did that, I have no idea. It says the finger of God the first time, so I assume he just, same as we take a pen, he did it in stone. <laughs> That's the best I can do there, too. These are things that are beyond me. So anyway, be ready, and he tells them, be ready, come up in the mountain, and uh, <clears throat> don't even let the people get close. And so Moses goes up, and God does exactly what he said he would do. He, Moses cut the cut the stones. He has to, he's been trucking up and down the mountain several times now, a bunch of times. This time he has to go up with a bunch of, he has to carry this load back up the mountain. He had carried it partway down before. And he descended uh, <coughs> up the mountain and God ascended and God descended on there <coughs> and he was with him. And it says he called upon the name of the Lord. Now, all of you please turn to Exodus 34, 6 and 7. I'm going to make a statement. I don't think I'm exaggerating or overstating it. 
If there is any single concise statement in the Bible that explains God and how He operates, here it is. I believe I'm right on that. Let me tell you, the Bible expounds on all of these things in great ways. But if you want one single place that you can go to, I'm going to encourage you to look at this. If you want to memorize, and I hope you've memorized, uh, memorize this because it tells us pretty much all sides of God and how He operates. So let's look at what it says. Exodus 34, 6. Then the Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, is compassionate, shows mercy. He pities us. Mercy is he doesn't give us what we deserve. And gracious. He gives us what we don't deserve. What we have from God is a gift. And he's slow to anger. Think about that. How many times has he already said, you know what? Step back, I'm going to destroy them. Or, hey, Moses, if I go with you, I'm going to to do, do you in. He says he's slow to anger. Aren't you glad about these three things so far? Slow to anger. And then he flips and says, abundant in loving kindness. Loyal, faithful love. If you take this word loving kindness, other versions use a different word. It's very hard to put into English. But here are the things that it has. It is goodness, kindness, devotion, faithfulness, loyalty, righteousness, and love all stuffed into one word. It is just about impossible to put into an English word. So they just made up a word, loving kindness. It simply is all of these wonderful things that God is, He shows to us. Think about that. He is faithful. If He says something, He's going to do it. Is He loving? You better believe it, because if He wasn't, we're in big trouble. Is He kind? He needs to be. Because we sure aren't. We blow it all the time. Then He goes on to say, and truth. God is a source of truth. He is the bottom line. He can verify what what He's doing. Uh, There is no uh, changeableness in this whole thing. It's firm. God is true. New Testament says, let let God be true and every man a liar. That's how far it goes. But then he goes into verse uh, 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 7. It says, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. The word forgive, in essence, says this, to subtract, dismiss, and cancel. God is in the loving and forgiving business. He's also in one other business, too. We'll get to that in a moment. But he says he forgives three different kinds of Sin. They're they're all sin, but they approach it from a different direction. The first is iniquity. 
in essence, it says the punishment that is due, the guilt that is due. See, if you do something wrong, you could go, and there are people that do this, they do something wrong, and the rest of their lives, they beat, each, they beat themselves up because they don't believe God has really forgiven the guilt of all their sin. And so they believe they have to whip themselves because they did something wrong, and the rest of their lives are miserable because they're trying to pay for the sin. No, he says, I forgive the guilt of all your sin. Do you know what it is? Yeah, but it's taken care of. That's the key thing. And he says he forgives transgression. I went beyond the boundary. No trespassing. And I stepped over the line. He says, I forgive that. And then sin. Sin, as you well know, means to miss the mark. It's used in the Old Testament this way. It has nothing to do with sin itself, but the word is used. It says that there were in Benjamin, the tribe of Benjamin, 300 men who, like David, could sling a stone at a hair, like a human hair, and not sin. Exact same word. William Tell, Robin Hood, the best marksmen you know, don't even come close. We all sin. We all miss the mark. And he says, I forgive that. When you miss the mark, I forgive you. We miss the mark in all kinds of different ways. And then he says, and I told you, he does one more thing. Yet he will not, he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. And you go, and I've heard all kinds of things about this. They call it generational curses and all kinds of stuff. And I don't believe that's what it's saying at all. But here's what I do know. Years ago, probably back in the 70s, somebody wrote a book that said, God has no grandchildren. Here's what I know for me and I know for you. Is that what I do will affect those who come after me. Just the way it is. If I don't lead my children in the way of the Lord, they don't have a clue as to what to do. And if they don't have a clue as to what to do... Unless they get saved and somebody comes aside to them and teaches them, they're going to pass it on and you have just down the line. I think that's how it works. Our influence. I believe that's the bottom line here. Uh, there's a domino effect that goes in there. Don't ever think, you know what, I don't really have to live for the Lord and be a good example to my kids, my friends, my relatives, whatever. No. You have a domino effect. Use the opportunities because if you don't, it gets passed on. And so, you know, no matter what it is, we need to understand that we need to be faithful. Why? Because he already said, I'm compassionate, I'm grace, uh, gr gracious, slow to anger, I'm abundant in loving kindness. And if we're going to follow the Lord, we're going to act in the way that he does. And so somebody sins against us, we need to forgive them. It's just the way it is. We simply mirror what God has done for us, and we pass it on. If we don't, we have some culpability. We need to pass on what we know. 
Verse 8 simply says this, Moses made haste to bow low toward the earth and worship. He once again saw God for who he is. Saw his presence? Yep. Worshiped. People worshiped. He now sees or hears God explaining himself and he worships. That's us. Let's all stand together as we close.